This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison with Ian Doyle and Patrick Smith, both with me for today's show. We're going to be talking about the futures of both Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah, but we wanted to have a chat first about the latest in the fallout from the Champions League final in Paris. It's absolutely vital, of course, that we keep talking about that. I'm sure we will do over the next few days and however long it takes to get this sorted out. We've spoken throughout the week, Dory, about the experiences of those people who were present at the Stade de France, but the lies seemingly continue to come thick and fast. Liverpool fans and journalists, though, have kept sort of fighting back against those. And Real Madrid today have added their statement to it as well. It, it, it doesn't seem like this is going to go away, and, and rightly so as well. Well... <clears throat> Billy Hogan, didn't he, the chief executive of Liverpool, said last uh, yesterday, he said that he'd spoken to people at Real Madrid and they were about to put something out in the next couple of days and lo and behold, something's come out this morning. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that they, in the statement, quite rightly, doesn't make any mention of, of Liverpool supporters or, or any kind of reference to some of the suggestions that have been made there, but they're just referring to, as if to emphasise the fact that their supporters were also caught up in it. Uh, may, it's interesting, there's one line where it actually says that inside the ground as well and that's not something that i don't think we'd, we'd heard too much about actual trouble inside the ground so i'm not entirely sure what that's in reference to obviously that'll come out when you know railroad have called for you know answers to their questions and they actually liverpool sent a list of 13 questions to uav yesterday and uh railroad have just well, publicly made you know two of their questions and that, you know they, they point out that most of the trouble was after the game for them i mean we've, we've it's interesting isn't it and when the actual incidents were coming out before the game on social media by actual definition we're all more not interested in liverpool but we're all more aware of stuff because of the people you follow on twitter and the people you know and it's only really been in the last couple of days that the news has come out of what or we've had a greater idea of what was happening at the real madrid end and you know they they weren't kept behind from what i can gather but all the gates weren't locked but they still had to go through the same you know the same same you know bottleneck some of the same issues with that and some slightly heavy-handed police if not quite as bad, but they then had to, you know, what, what, what people have said, run the gauntlet after the game when they were leaving because of, you know, what we believe to be some of the local, you know, population um, going round and mugging and attacking people. Now, the thing that we have to be careful with here is that basically when the game was announced, it's going to be in Stade de France. I'd never been before, but I know people who've from around there or, or have been, and then they've said a bit of a rough area and, People who know a lot more about the socio, you know, economic makeup of, of France and Paris, you know, they they comment on it. So I don't want to go down that particular route, but it's largely made up of, let's just say, a, people of a certain background that perhaps some French people would rather not, you know, have much to do with, and that that's a concern for that area, and that's kind of what's happened. And I think that was borne out by the fact that look what happened with the the police just disappeared, didn't they, after the game? Where were they? I mean, you could say. That they were inside the ground certainly the ones with the the right gear because they were in front of both ends of supporters we saw the pictures didn't we at the time they seemed to just be in front of liverpool fans towards the end of the game and that was the case then but 10 minutes later they were also in front of the real madrid fans so there is that and so real madrid's main issue is the the treatment of their supporters after the game and that is still part of the whole you know the organization of the of the events liverpool fans even those who weren't able to get in, people who had tickets who then had to leave or decided to leave, 
they had to run that particular gauntlet again as well, where they saw people running around in, in, in gangs and they were, you know, some people got attacked. Most of the trouble came from people actually just trying to, to rob people and mug them. Um, but, you know, we know we know people who, who got attacked and, you know, got cut and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And I, I know people who had to, you know, take evasive action to hide in, in broadcast compounds and, you know, help to safety by prominent, you know, former Liverpool players and stuff like that, which is just bizarre when you think about it, because the Stade de France, obviously, it's hosted a World Cup final, it's hosted a Champions League, certainly one Champions League, it's a couple of Champions League finals before. Um, it's hosted many big games, but the more stories you hear from the locals is that, certainly the local French population, is that this kind of trouble isn't unusual. But for some reason, the, the French ministers, not so much the French government, I think it's more the, the French ministers, we know the two in question, that they they just seem to just be like, no, nope, nothing happened, we didn't do anything wrong. And it's just interesting that in, in the, the Instagram era that they're just totally ignoring the fact that there's so much evidence. And I don't think UEFA can do that because well, for a start, they're not a government, so they don't really have anything to... In that sense, they don't have anything to hide or they've got anything to fight for because they're not going anywhere. They're still going to be there. A bit different when you're talking about politicians who could be voted out of a job. That's a little bit different. But the interesting thing for me is that both Real Madrid and Liverpool have said we want an independent, not a report or a review, we want an actual investigation into what went on. Because if you do review, we've, we've seen this again, going back to governments, just generally, the, you know, the British government, you do a review of something. Great, we, have, we know what happened. That doesn't necessarily mean we're actually going to blame anybody or actually do anything about it. If you actually investigate something, that suggests that there's something's gone wrong and you're trying to get to the root cause of something. No, I could review what happened. <laughs> we're doing it now. You know what I mean? We're, this is our. This is how you could argue it's not an independent review, though, is it? Because you're Liverpool. You know, you got Liverpool leanings, and you know lots of Liverpool people who are there, but still journalists. So you know, we know from from the, the journalists who got caught up in it. I mean, there was two. Basically, the journalists who were there set, split into three different sections. Is the people who were inside the stadium before it happened, such as myself and everybody else from the Echo. We only actually, turns out we only missed it by about five minutes. There's those who decided when they were inside the stadium to go back out and have a look what was going on. And we know we've we've heard stories of you know people being caught up in you know from the other side of the fence where the police were being caught up in the pepper spray and the tear gas and then there's those who were actually still making their way to the ground and they were actually amongst the supporters because for you know unsurprisingly the police just didn't differentiate between what you were you just like well they're all just going to the ground so they seem to be all together with Liverpool fans so everybody go this way and that's how we ended up getting to the ground we went to the ground with with Liverpool fans and a group of them and they had no idea that we were press until we got right up to that barrier and showed our pass and said, let us through. And they went, okay, they let us through. And we thought it was a bit odd that the supporters weren't being let through at the time, but we didn't expect what then happened to actually happen. You know, we were in contact with people who, who were there at the time and they were saying like, you know, I remember it was about 50 minutes before the game was due to start. I think it was when I first started getting messages of something wasn't quite right. And then half an hour before it was like, I'm not getting into it. Messages of people saying, we're not getting into this game. It's like still half an hour to go. So, yeah, just but obviously that's going back over stuff that suggests we we you know has been talked about all week. But yeah, the the fact that Raymond did have come out and said, look, we have problems, that also goes against what the French ministers were saying by saying that it was just all at the Liverpool end, which we knew fairly soon afterwards that wasn't quite the case. And now, you know, with all the weight of evidence from social media videos and you know, you know witnesses uh, statements, we know that to be the case.
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, we saw a kind of press conference from the, the two politicians, the, the sports minister in France as well, Pat, where it, it just seemed every few seconds you could pick out something that, that just wasn't true, whether it was a, a little thing or a, a bigger thing, whatever it was, there was just things that you thought, well, that just obviously isn't the case. And, and that, that's the crucial thing, isn't it? What Doidi says there, there is literally video evidence of this stuff unfolding. It's it's timestamped. Everyone knows when it is. You can compile it. And I think we should probably mention Dan Austin, who's done a great job of, of sort of keep pushing this and, and compiling the evidence to, to sort of suggest what happened in reality. I mean, you can only run away from this for so long, can't you? Because the evidence is quite literally there in, in absolute abundance. Oh yeah, definitely a shout out to Dallas that he's been absolutely amazing. But politicians, you know, have always, will always lie. But it's she's in such denial of the minister in question, isn't she? You know, there is clear video evidence. She'd maybe try and dodge the question in a way if you're a politician that is, you know, the politically correct answer. But she's just flat out denying anything happened. It's ridiculous. And with Real Madrid's statement coming out today, part of you might think, oh, okay, it's taken nearly two weeks. Is that a bit of a delayed process? But that might actually help in the sense that, you know, we need to keep this pressing. We need to keep pressing this issue, keep it in the news, keep it current. And Real Madrid's statement today, I think, was really brilliant, as Dolly mentioned. You know, completely mentioning their fans, nothing about the Liverpool fans, because it's nothing to do with the Liverpool fans. It's about the policing and the organisation of UEFA. And rightly so, they're demanding an independent investigation, because, you know, with FIFA and UEFA, there are views they've had in the past. I think we're going to, you know, realise the outcome of this one is going to be that they agree with what's happened, you know, agree with their previous statements. So I think it's so important to keep pressing this and press for the independent investigation because clearly there's so much evidence. You know, Dan Austin as well has been brilliant at going on French TV and media, asking on Twitter for all the replies with evidence. And, you know, I, I just can't see any other outcome. If it's, you know, if we keep this pressure on that, there has to be think, the right outcome and hold you away for accountable. I think one thing we have to bear in mind, and while obviously the good thing about Dan um, I actually spoke to him before in the fan part before the game, and he, he told me that he lived in Paris, which I didn't know until that point. Um, the good thing about that is that obviously he's going on television, he's going to the media outlets, and he's actually conversing in in, in the language, and that helps put a point across. But the better thing, from a general point of view, is that the French pe- other the French people, the French press, the French media, who Dan has been invited on to talk in this way. They're the ones that are keeping up the pressure because we can talk all we want here if we're being perfectly honest about this. Mm. And they're never, ever, ever, ever going to hear it because we're in a different country, which is why it's easy for any country, any government to just pin the blame on foreigners. And does that remind you of any governments? Do you know know anything like that? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so, so yeah. Um, That's the big thing is that most of the French media just don't believe what's being said anyway. They just don't believe it because they've had experience of it, far more experience than Liverpool fans. Liverpool fans have just happened to be the ones that were there at the time. And while, from what we're being told, is that if, if we take what the, the minister, the sports minister, saying at face value, she said that, oh, we knew that Liverpool fans were going to be a problem. Well, you know, if that was the case, then I don't know. Where's, where's the proof of that in the last couple of Champions League finals that they've been to in all the European games that they've been to? You know, this is stuff that, that's probably a reference to stuff that's happened a very long time ago when they should really be looking at what's been happening, say, in the last five years, what Liverpool have got to four European finals under clock. There hasn't been any trouble in the previous three, but there's been, well, not trouble, you know, trouble in the sense that there was there were issues at this one, you know, and the issues came entirely from 
the way that the event was handled, the organisation, because literally up until the point where the fans got to just outside the stadium, there'd been no problems whatsoever, none at all, none at all. And everyone was even saying like it's been a great atmosphere, even like bumping into Real Madrid fans, they were mingling with Liverpool fans, there was no problem whatsoever. There was never an issue between the two sets of fans at all. And even if, even when we were being directed through the train stations, the fans were singing and banging on walls for Abravia, and there were some police there, and they were laughing and joking, they were taking pictures. You know, the fans were taking pictures, that is, you know, of, of like, you know. So there was never any suggestion of any kind of trouble until you got to that point. And then, I don't know. And even then, there were fan, already Liverpool fans in the ground who'd gotten from different areas, so why would they that they treated in a, in a similar manner? And it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. So... While I also understand, and we have to bear this in mind, that Paris only got the Champions League final in late February, early March. And normally, I think they get between 15 to 18 months to prepare. And there were signs, certainly on the way to the game, there wasn't much signage. You didn't really know where you were going. You are just following the crowds, which is never a good thing, by the way, um, <clears throat> without proper direction. There were signs that perhaps, I mean, even in the, even in the press, I know it's completely trivial, but even in the press box, the echo, the echo, we didn't get our own assigned seats. They'd run out of programs by the time we got there. We actually got there two and a half hours before the game. Then we were told when we asked for a program to say, well, you, you should have got here early. You were too late. So well, hang on. <laughs> game doesn't start for ages. So um, I guess say that's just trivial. But it was a little sign of how things were just weren't probably quite as prepared as they normally would be. So you have to put that, bear that in mind. There's a slight mitigation to that. But then it's almost completely wiped out by the fact that Stade France has loads of um, you know, the French authorities are used to covering these kind of, uh, you know, having these kind of events there. They have rugby union internationals all the time. They have, they have football internationals. Is, is the one was is the one this week or has there been one? I think, yeah. I think there maybe was one last night, I think. Last night, not, yeah, yeah. So there's already, sure. I know it's not quite the same because most of the people there would have already been, you know, already live in France. They're not travelling from abroad, this, that and the other. But they've still got to turn up to the ground. You know what I mean? They've still got to get there. So I do think there's far more... It just seems as though Liverpool supporters have just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, I think, more than anything. And they're almost practically blameless in, in that sense. And I just think the French authorities have to just accept the fact that, you know, there were operational mistakes. And if they'd have just said that straight away, I don't think we'd even be talking about this now. We'd just go, OK, fine, we get it. We get yeah. we, we know. Sorry. You know, you know, if you just say sorry for it, you know. I mean, UEFA made it worse, didn't they, when they came out and said straight away, when we were inside the ground and saw the signs that, that on the on the uh, scoreboard, on the screen, that said, due to the late arrival of fans, the gate kick has been delayed. And we were all like looking at each other going, no, that's not true. Because we know that they've been there for two more than two hours, some of them. So that swiftly got changed. But that was an example. I wrote something at the time, actually. I actually wrote something that actually finished just before the game started, saying this is how it starts. This is how you control a narrative. This is how... You know, like, you know, I didn't say lies, but, you know, mistruths end up getting spread. And it's kind of gone from there, hasn't it? And I think what's interesting is UEFA do have that kind of, well, they've not come out and said sorry. They have backtracked a bit, a little bit. And in fact, they backtracked by the end of the evening, haven't they? They, they, they said, well, it was actually security problems, this, you know, a bit more to it than that. But they can always hide behind the fact that, A, as I just said, they only had three months to organise it. And B, Ultimately, it was down to the French police, and they don't have authority over them. And it's 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 the French government, and I think that's what will happen. They'll end up. What will end up happening is there'll be a big war of words between UEFA and the French authorities. They all point the fingers, and nothing will happen because it never does. Nothing will happen, and you just have to hope that 
whoever it is that's the next teams that play in a European final at, in France, that they're looked after a little bit better than Liverpool fans were, and Real Madrid fans after the game. Yeah, absolutely. France, Denmark, it is tonight, not last night. So mm. that's at the, the Stade de France later today. But plenty more to, to come on this story, I'm sure. The echo will continue to be right across all of the developments as we happen, uh, as they happen, I should say. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, but for the second part of the, the show, we're going to move on and, and have a little bit of a chat around Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah Doidi. Both players, of course, one year left on their contracts. Let's start with, with Sadio Mane. I think I think it's fair to say that most Liverpool fans probably wouldn't begrudge him a move. He's been here at Anfield for, for six seasons. And if he does want to, to try something new, is is that something you can understand from his perspective? I think, uh, yeah, man, I, I don't think anyone would begrudge him that, to be honest. I think he's he's been a great servant. I saw some discussion. Somebody said that he wasn't he isn't a Liverpool legend. I can't remember it was that said. It was, I think it may have been a former player. I think maybe John Barnes, actually. Or Ian yes, Rush, it was, yeah. It was John Barnes, yeah. John Barnes. Who, to be fair, he is a Liverpool legend. So he does, he does you know, there's a certain weight to what he says. But I'd have to disagree with him. But, you know, you're talking about a player who scored in one Champions League final. Um, he's played in three of them. You know, won, won the second one. Could easily have nearly scored in the third one, you know. He's he's was very much part of everything that Liverpool have, have, have achieved under Jurgen Klopp, and he was kind of the the first man who who signed up for it, wasn't he? Really, he was the first big money buy that came in uh, 2016, and he was the, the first real evidence of how Klopp could get hold of a player who people thought he's decent, but I'm not sure whether he's Liverpool level to turn him into you know Ballon d'Or or help turn him because obviously it's down Manny himself, but he helped turn him into Ballon d'Or. Um, Contender this season, you know, he's 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 African champion, player of the tournament there. He's won all the major honours at Liverpool, and I think he was that, as I say, that catalyst for it. Because once people saw that he, he you know, Salah came the following year, didn't he? Uh, and it's kind of gone from there. So I think Manny's more than done his bit. I think it's just interesting, isn't it, though, that it depends on the reason, real reason why he wants to go. If he wants to go because he wants a new challenge, fine. If he wants to go because he doesn't think he's getting paid enough money compared to some of the other players, and that's slightly different. Um, but you know, he's got a good idea of his own of his own value, his own worth. I mean, the last six months, sorry, the last three or four months since he came back from uh, the AFCON, it's probably been the best he's ever played for Liverpool. And in some ways, it, it, it does strike me a little bit like when Coutinho was on his way, the last three or four months that he played, was the best he ever played for Liverpool. So I do wonder whether or not he's had at the back of his mind, I'm just going to put everything into this because I know this is the end of my time here. I, I quite fancy doing something else now because six years at one club, for that pressure as well, is in this league, playing for a Jurgen Klopp team, that's quite a big effort. And you've also got to bear in mind as well with Mane is that almost every time somebody signs, it's almost to replace him. You know, he's had two left wingers joined in the past two years, and yet, and then he's ended up becoming a central striker. When he signed Salah, it moved him from the right to the the left wing, and there was that spell, wasn't it, in the, the that season where, for a couple of months, you, you wondered whether or not he was going to, you know, truly prosper. Then when Coutinho left, that that's when the three of them, Salah, Firmino, and Mane, it, it you know properly clicked, and it was that January 2018 they went from there. So there is a certain sense he probably thinks, well, I quite fancy just going somewhere where I know where I'm going to play. And it could be he just wants to be the main man. I read something about that today. It could be he just wants to be, you know, how you can be the main man at Bayern Munich. But I'm not sure because, you know, there's there's quite a lot of players who, who probably think that they've always been a team that hasn't been short of a little bit of ego, shall we say, during my time watching football. So 
probably not going to be much different there. But if you want a new challenge, yeah, just just go for it. I think he if Liverpool get a good good price for him, I think they want upwards of forty million for him. I think certainly more than the thirty million euros that was being reported. Um, I don't think they'll get that to be honest. He's only got one year left on his contract, so I think they'll come to some compromise if he's absolutely desperate to go. Although, as, as from the last time we asked, which was earlier this week, he hadn't told Liverpool that he wants to leave. So whether or not Liverpool are telling the truth on that one, we'll, we'll, we'll soon find out. But yeah, if he doesn't, if he ends up buying Munich next season, I don't think anyone would be surprised. And I don't think anyone really begrudge him provided Liverpool get the right price. And they'd have in to replace him. Yeah, in terms of... Well, yeah. In terms of the the replacement part, I mean, there's there's a couple of different ways they can go with it, isn't there? You can try and go like for like and try and get another version, a younger version of Sadio Mane, or possibly change things up. Maybe go for a bit more of a, a fixed number nine. There's there is one or two different ways they can go with this. What what would firstly be your preference, and secondly, what do you think Liverpool might do? Well, the rumours are going to be circling and circling. I think the one that I would like to see is if he does go to Bayern Munich. Maybe some compensation the other way. Maybe Serge Gnabry is a lot more like-for-like replacement than play-out-wide. Goal-scoring winger would suit Jurgen Klopp's style perfectly. Quite tenacious, rapid. But Robert Lewandowski is one who I would just love to see because he wants to move away from the Bundesliga, obviously. He wants to challenge himself. I know he looks set to join Barcelona, but that would be such a turn-up, wouldn't it? Because you know, he used to play under Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund, obviously. He could play in the Premier League, the biggest league in the world, really test himself. And I've been saying for years, I would love to see us try out a goal-scoring number nine who's good in the air, you know, because the amount of crosses we put into the box, who, granted, whether it be Firmino, Mane through the middle, maybe even Jota coming in, is good in the air. But someone like Lewandowski will score those half chances when they're whipped across from Robertson and Trent. So that would be a really, really interesting one. But I'm going to go back, Dolly, because I hadn't heard about um, the John Barnes comment. I don't want to unintentionally drag Barnes if it wasn't him who said it, but... Barnes has 108 goals in 407 Liverpool games, whereas Mane has 120 in only 269. So for me, that definitely makes him Liverpool legend. I think there's no doubt of Mane's stature at Liverpool. So over the past few years, he's been so important, you know, be on the right, the left, through the middle. I, for one, am devastated to see him going because he's been so important under Jurgen Klopp. But yeah, for the replacements I'd like to see, I would love to see Lewandowski, but I think Nabry is probably the more realistic one if Bayern would like to sell to us. In terms of having that sort of focal point, though, I mean, it's it's interesting as well because obviously Divock Origi has gone and he didn't play loads of minutes last season, but he was that kind of plan B almost. That I really hate that phrase, but that kind of plan B off the bench to, to change things. It's it is something that worked a couple of times for Liverpool to to switch things up. I mean, it's not just Mane that's gone; that they, they do probably have to think a little bit about that kind of wild card off the bench as well, don't they? Yeah, I'd just like to point out, John Barnes better footballer than Sadio Mane. By the way, John Barnes literally one of the best footballers I've ever seen play for Liverpool or, or, or play full stop. So let's just. I'm, I'm not doubting that. I'm just, I think Mane definitely is a Liverpool legend despite Mr. I agree. Barnes I agree. Players. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But, you know, let's not say John Barnes or even, you know, <laughs> let's just clear that up once and for all. Um, I totally forgot what the question was. What was the question? About the switching things up, the bit of a plan yes, okay, B. Right, yeah, right. I wrote, I wrote something actually on the train back from Paris on Sunday, kind of suggesting that if Mane was going to go, because of Origi, the fact that he's gone as well, and they've already got, as I said before, two left wingers, they probably do need someone down the middle. I reckon they should be signing someone who's a central striker who's probably younger, or Lewandowski who's very old. But then, are they going to pay the wage? How can they not pay Mane and be debating over paying Salah, whatever he thinks, and then Lewandowski comes in and gets a big whack? I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. As good as it would be, 
for him to be there. I don't think that's going to be happening. I do think a younger centre forward, or whatever whatever counts as a, a centre forward these days, probably you're not going to get a Roberto Firmino esque kind of player because he's such a one off. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're then looking at two of the three will technically have been, you know, Firmino, Salah, and Mane would have been moved out of the. Uh, that front three, and then Liverpool probably going to have to look at because you've got Carvalho coming as well. You'd think he's going to get some games in in midfield. You're looking at a completely different way, not completely different way of playing, but certainly an evolved way of playing where it's going to be slightly different to what perhaps Liverpool have been used to over the last couple of years. And Liverpool showed in the last ten games of last season that they they can play a different way to get the results because they were obviously a lot more cautious when they wanted to, you know, when they had Nat Phillips and Reese Williams playing at, at centre-back because they couldn't do the high line. We've, we've done that one to death loads of times this year. Uh, by the way, Liverpool lost four games all season, so I think it probably worked. Um, so, yeah, I do think that uh, getting a centre-forward in, I think, will be far more worthwhile than getting another wide player because you've already got Jota can play there. Diaz is quite clearly going to be playing there for the most part. You got Salah on the other wing, and when Salah, because he will go at some point, everybody, he's going to go. He's not going to play until he's about fifty, so he'll uh, he'll be replaced by another right winger, and then Liverpool just evolve from there again. Let's talk about Mohamed Salah now. Then, obviously, he's made it clear that he doesn't intend to move on this summer. That obviously then leaves it as a case of either moves on a free or agrees a new contract in the meantime, Dorian. Obviously, the suggestion made this week that he'd be open to moving to another Premier League club. That feels very much to me like a move from his representatives to say, well, look, if, if you don't do something, we've got a plan. You may very well say that. I couldn't possibly comment on <laughs> what that was all about. Um, yeah, Newcastle's the one, isn't it? Newcastle's an interesting one. I do wouldn't be surprised if their name gets more seriously thrown into the hat the longer that Salah doesn't sign a deal or agree a deal. Uh, but Newcastle, come on, why would you? Honestly, seriously. I mean, if he was younger, then you'd make a bit more sense. I can't see Newcastle winning anything of note over the last couple, the next couple of years. Although, if things continue the way they are, if they if they're not challenging for the title in the next four years, I think they should just sack everybody at Newcastle. Um, <laughs> There's my little thought for the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, Salah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, it's weird in the sense that I don't think anyone's willing to commit, any fan is willing to commit or any of us either way to say, do you think he's going to sign? Yes or no? Because it's still, don't know. Don't know. He might do. He might not. Wouldn't be surprised either way. I mean, he said he was very vehement, wasn't he, at the, the, the media day ahead of the Champions League final, where he just th- he threw it out there himself. He never even got asked, really. He got a bit about his co- co- contract. He said, I'm just concentrating on this game, which you expect him to say. And then he just comes out and says, yeah, but although it's obviously clear I'm going to be here next season. Everyone was like, sorry? So that you know, does that put the pressure on Liverpool because he's now threatening to walk away for nothing at the end of his, de- end of his deal? Does that mean that the money that Liverpool lose, could they then give it to him as an extra contract i don't know you know what i mean so there's going to be lots more chats over the next couple of weeks and months lots more words written and i'm sure i'll be asked to write some of them until i'm off for three weeks i'm really looking forward to that yeah i get the feeling that won't be the last time i ask you a question <laughs> along those lines <laughs> but in terms of the the sort of free transfer element to this it is kind of something we've seen a little bit of a, a shift towards you look at real madrid just signed antonio rudiger they signed david alaba on a free last summer Dybala's moving this summer, Mbappe looked like he was going to, but isn't anymore. It, it does kind of feel a bit like that is a bit of a shift across football, but can Liverpool afford for that to be the case? If they lose him on a free, you wouldn't then have the, the money to reinvest. 
they mentioned Dybala there. I wouldn't mind taking him on a free Liverpool if he'd slot very nicely into that Mina role, wouldn't he? But yeah, with Salah, I think... I mean, the way they've acted in the media, Mane, you kind of got the vibe that, you know, he knows he's leaving. I think you can sort of tell from the, the interviews he's had. Obviously, I don't want him to, but Salah seemed a lot more upbeat. And as Doyle said, I think it was a Rio Ferdinand on BT, just came out and said, yeah, I'm here next season. And everyone was like, OK. I think Salah does want to stay at Liverpool. I don't think Mane does. But that's just my opinion. Obviously, that could be completely incorrect, and it probably is completely incorrect. But yeah, I think Salah, if he does leave, it will be on that free transfer. And it would definitely be abroad. I don't think he'd go to another Prem team because yeah, there's no point, really. And I think PSG, you know, keeping Mbappe now, it's unlikely he'd go there. Maybe Real Madrid look for him next year. It's an interesting one because the rise of Barca as well under Xavi, Matt, they could be looking for another winger, especially with Lewandowski and Salah in the front line. That wouldn't be too shabby. But yeah, it would be a shame to see him go on free, but it'd be a shame to see him go at all. And, you know, I hope he signed another contract. And if that did happen, maybe we could get a bigger fee for him. Yeah, it still feels to me like Liverpool's the best place for him. Don't really see where else he goes, but equally don't see Liverpool going to match the wages that he seemingly wants. So we just keep going around in circles, don't we? Plenty of things to think about then for Liverpool this summer. Salah's contract, a Mane replacement. We'll have all of the latest across all of the usual channels, of course. But that will just about do us for today's podcast. More content to come over the weekend. The Blood Red podcast will be back on Monday as well. For now, though, thank you for watching and for listening. It's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.